Hello? Hello. Good morning. Alrighty. We have such good sound guys at this church, but not enough of them. So if you want to help out with sound, they could use, they'd, be, they'd love it. Alrighty. If you haven't turned to the passage Tobias just ran, read, I invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes. I will as well. So we're looking at the same text. So yeah, we're continuing our sermon in Ecclesiastes. Uh, good to see you guys. I don't know if you've been to, if you've been here for each of the sermons through Ecclesiastes. Uh, if you haven't, I don't know if you know they are online. And you can listen to them. So that in January, when we start into Ecclesiastes again, you don't have to be in the dark as much. Um, yeah. Train of thought. I'm going to pray as we walk in the th- into the text here. And I'm going to ask that the Lord would teach us. I'm going to invite you guys to work with me. Um, we, this week in our family group, we read how Jesus fed the 5,000. And we read how um, the disciples came to him and, and they say to Jesus, they're like, it's getting late. All these people need to eat. You should send them away. And uh, Jesus is like, there's no need to send them away. You feed them. And so there's like 5,000 people here yet. We don't know yet at the beginning of the text that there's 5,000 people. But the disciples respond. They're like, all we have is five loaves and two fish. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, and, um, and Jesus says, bring them to me. And then Jesus takes the bread and he says a blessing. And um, then he breaks it. And then he gives it to the disciples to feed. And so the disciples still feed them. Um, but they had more than enough. And there's food left over. And so I kind of feel like I only have five loaves and two fish. Maybe less than that this morning. And um, so my, my prayer is that we would go to Jesus and that he would graciously give me the bread and that we would be fed um, because we need to hear from him this morning. So I'll pray. Lord, I thank you so much that um, we can come to you. I ask that you would um, um, give me a mouth to speak your word from and my brothers and sisters ears to hear. And um, any here who, who don't know you um, I ask that you would um, give them life and faith that, that, that for each of us this, the hearing of this word would be united with faith and that it would bear fruit in, in us. And um, th- those who don't know you, that they would come to life in Christ and that they would taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, and Lord, as we consider the vanity of this life and the futility we see, particularly regarding riches and um, all that goes along with that. Do a work in us. Correct our understanding. Correct our hearts. Lord, I ask that I would decrease, that you would increase and commit all these things to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So we've gone through Ecclesiastes, the first uh, five chapters or four 
chapters and five and a bit. Um, the first part of five. And there's a couple things I want us to touch on just to make sure we're still on the same page. Last week we were in Luke. Um, we had a quick break from Ecclesiastes. And uh, so I want us to not miss a couple things. Um, a, a central theme in Ecclesiastes is vanity. Vanity. Who remembers what vanity, what does that word mean? You can shout it out. This won't be a completely interactive sermon, but right now you can shout it out if you know. Emptiness or purposelessness, uh, like a vapor, um, a breath, like, yeah. Um, and so that's a, that's a huge theme in Ecclesiastes. Um, the, the speaker, the author, um, calls himself the preacher um, and the son of David. We believe that, um, I believe, and many believe that it's Solomon writing, um, though it might not be, it might be someone writing um, more under that um, kind of ghost writing underneath, under, underneath that position. Um, and that, that can work too, because the main thing is that this person writing, he, he has seen great wealth and riches and um, has known many things, and he writes that he, um, he sought to find what is good for man under heaven in all of his vain, vain days in life. And um, so he's walked through um, the vanity of different things. He sees, sees all to be vanity. In uh, chapter um, 2, he said, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said, Of laughter it is mad, and of pleasure what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. And he says he has many, thi- many of these things. He became great, surpassed all who were before him in Jerusalem. Um, then he considered all that his hands had done and the toil he had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And what he's going to be having us consider together this morning for the next half hour or so is um, wealth and the accumulation of possessions and... and um, their failure to satisfy and the vanity of the pursuit as well as um, what contentment is. And uh, and then we're going to take that message and look at it for us today. Um, and so it's an encouraging note. Uh, it's sobering in a sense, and that's I hope it is sobering. Um, I want us to ask the question, do you enjoy what you have and what you do? And... Um, recognize the I want I want us to see the vanity in in what we do and what we have and I want us to um, see what is what is gained from the love of money and that we flee that and and then thirdly that we would flee these things and worship God and I think that might be where we find the contentment um, so let's walk through the passage <coughs> Verse 8, if you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, 
and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. Um, the actual, when I looked at this, I was a little confused. I didn't know how to uh, explain it. And so I thought on it, wrestled with it. And then later when I uh, read what others have written about it, I also found that they too um, tend to be kind of confused <laughs> about what the Hebrew is saying in it. And, um, and people even land at different interpretations. And you'll even see that in your different Bible translations we have in English, that there's a little bit of uh, uncertainty. And you may even have a footnote in your Bible that says the Hebrew is uncertain. Um, but... What I, what, I, what I believe the preacher is doing here is he's recognizing the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice, but he's not surprised to see it. Um, for he says the high official is watched by a higher, and so I think you see that there's, um, there's the workers, the, you can say the poor, and there's an official over them, but over him, he's under another official, and he's under another official, and... Um, but then he says it's gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. And so I think, I think that uh, he doesn't lessen the oppression that he sees, but he also doesn't turn to anarchy as the way of overthrowing because he sees that there's an advantage in having a king over the fields because the work can actually be carried out and the work can actually um, happen. But I think this actually connects into verse 10 and 11. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase to eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? And so uh, when you have great lands sprawling, like the king would be sitting over, and you have all these officials on top, the more wealth that you have, the more you need to feed the laborers that are working in the field and you have to pay the officials that are over them. And in the end, the king will get his share, but only so much. For the most part, his wealth, he sees it and it's eaten and gone. And what gain does he actually receive from it? And then I was thinking about this in the context, say, of my work. Um, there is... Uh, the apprentice, when he first starts, I I'm an apprentice as an electrician, anyone who doesn't know that. And you, s you can see an apprentice, when they first start in the trade, Tobias and I both know this, um, they don't get paid as much. They get paid actually half of what the journeyman say makes. Um, but as an apprentice too, especially as a first year, you're not really concerned about much more than just the task you have in front of you. I do my task, and then I finish it for the day, and then I go home, and I don't have to worry about the rest of the job. But as you gain more responsibility in the work, all of a sudden there's more that you have to be mindful of and stressed about. And so as I've gained more responsibility in my job, um, the it's harder for the work just to stay at work because now I'm worried about the whole job and it causes greater stress. So I'm getting paid more, but I'm also it also eats at me more. And even more so for my boss, because my manager is the owner of a part owner of the company. And so he, even in a greater way, has more pay and he reaps more reward from the toil. But then he also lies awake at night more, wrestling with whether the job's getting done the next day. And above him is the guys that own even more of the company. They're still technically employees, but they own even more of the company. 
and they're the ones who make decisions about whether we get paid, and so we get a pay cut, and we might be like, oh, like they're taking our money. But at the same time, we work for the day, and we go home, and we can rest. Whereas they, when these contracts fall, like that's their whole paychecks, and there's just this striving. <coughs> and um, he who and the verse ten, I want to tee on: He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. I want to ask, what do we love? Those officials, those kings, you can see those officials as the greed. They, they, the poor are oppressed because each of those officials takes more and more and more. Um, but, but the preacher, he wrestles with, with uh, whether they're actually satisfied. Because the more they increase, the less th- that they actually see. But sweet is... But sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Um, Verse 13, There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Do you hear the sadness in that? The vanity in that? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Verse 17, that, that idea of eating in darkness. If you labor all day, you rise early in the morning, and you're late to bed at night, it means you're going to be eating breakfast when it's still dark outside because they didn't have electricity <laughs> in this context. And then when you get home, you're going to be eating. And so there's this picture of this man who's just laboring and laboring. And then what does he have? He built up this wealth. He built up this wealth, and then he lost it, lost it all. It's gone. These riches are the uncertainty of riches. It's not. It's not guaranteed. We live in such security in these possessions that we have. But you you hear countless stories. You think the 2008 many who invested in um, the housing market in the states and and stock market and it crumbles and that crushes people. And then you you hear about suicides and. Um, There's a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. And what's added to it is that he, ha- he has a son and he doesn't have anything to pass on to him. It adds to, adds to the hurt. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This echoes Job, um, who, who mentioned how Naked he came, naked he will return. And Paul, in his letter to Timothy, also echoes echoes this, the reality that there's nothing that we're able to take with us. And so we toil and we toil and we toil, 
to build this wealth, but at the end, because of death, what's what's our, what's the return on our investment? Zero sum. In the end, it's all and 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 you contrast compare this to um, the preacher what he said in chapter four about the man who uh, who toils and toils and toils and he has neither son nor brother and there's yet there's no end to all his toil and his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure this also is vanity and an unhappy business but then now you have this gentleman who does have a son he does have somebody to pass it on to and so he toils but then he loses it all so then what gain did he have from his toil and if you're toiling all day long every day what what enjoyment do you get from your toil? And so then the preacher says in verse 18, Behold, and that, that word is meant to shock you, Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun in the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. It's interesting, in chapter 2, the preacher mentions how, um, he, he mentions this exact same phrasing, there's nothing better for a person and that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only, get, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. And so one thing I want us to see is that this ability to enjoy what God has given us is from God. It's from his hand. And you can actually see that this business, this, this business of vanity that God has given to the sons of men to, busy, to be busy with is also from the hands of God. And it says in chapter 2 that um, to the sinner he gives the business of collecting only to give it to one who does please God. So I want us to see that it's because of, um, actually I'm going go to I'm gonna go to Romans 1. Um, I want us to see that the love of money, when we love the things of this world, it, it does not satisfy. And, and because we've loved, we, we do not honor God as God, as it says in Romans 1. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. And then it says later on, Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And it says there that God gave them up, to the lust of their hearts. And it talks about more than just wealth and money, but you can see the same thing here, that God gives man up to this toil, this futility, 
And so I want you guys to see if you look in your if you look in our lives, if you look at the toiling day in and day out, what gain is it for? What gain is gained by that? And I want us to see that because of because of sin, because we turn from God, God's given us over, given mankind over to this. I want us to sit in that. <laughs> um. So the preacher gives that case study of the man who kept his riches to his hurt and lost them all. Um, and then you have this respite. What is good is to eat and drink and enjoy it. Enjoy what you do. So this is God's gift. And then we're back into another case study. <laughs> there, verse 1 of chapter 6. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better than off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place? So th- having said that the, the power and the ability to enjoy wealth and possessions comes from God, we now look at this man who God has given power and wealth and honor, uh, wealth, possessions, and honor, and he lacks nothing, but then God doesn't give him the power to enjoy it. This is vanity. But a stranger enjoys them. It's like the man from chapter 4 who didn't have an heir, didn't have anyone to share it with, and it just goes to be with another. He never enjoyed it. But now say if a man fathers a hundred children, so he has lots of people to enjoy it with, many to enjoy it with, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. Here the preacher continues his argument that it is, it is better for one not yet born who has not seen the evils under the sun than for, the, than for the man who lacks nothing but the power to enjoy what he has. For him, it's better to just have never seen the light of day. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. For he lives a thousand years over, the hyperbole. But it doesn't matter how much time you have to enjoy the stuff. If you don't have the power to enjoy it, it's all in vanity. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and striving after wind. If you love money, you're never going to have it, and your appetite will never be filled, and it's just going to be the striving and striving and striving. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? 
For who knows what is good for man, while he lives a few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Kind of stumbled through, through that. But do you guys do you guys feel the vanity of that? Do you see the weight of that? This vanity, this joyless, meaningless toil, is from God because of our sin. And yet, did you also see the glimpse of hope in the middle of the text? Behold, what I've seen to be dead and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. So you, uh, I see, want us to see there that God also gives the wealth and possessions. And so it's not that it's wrong to have wealth and possessions. That is, that's not the point. The point is the futility of having those wealth and possessions and n- not the enjoy- enjoyment of them. And I want us to uh, look in, Tim- in uh, Timothy 6. <coughs> Paul, he's, he's talking about uh, false teachers. This is 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. He's talking about false teachers, but then, but then he says here, um, he finished thinking that these, these teachers imagine that godliness is a means of gain. They're seeking to feign godliness um, to try to benefit from it. But Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content." But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Examine your hearts. Ask the question, what what am I pursuing? What am I seeking? You might not think that you're just after the paycheck, but what are what what do you think you lack? If you don't s- if you look at your heart and you don't see you think, well no, I'm not really running after anything. I want to ask another question. Are you content? Are you content? Do you enjoy the things that you have, and the, and the things that you do. Do you enjoy those things? But godliness with contentment is great gain. So when you, s- when you see it in yourself, and I see it in myself too, Elroy often mentions the, the idea of uh, driving down the road and you see the, the vehicle. This is before they got their new vehicle graciously, um, when they just had the minivan. He sees the vehicle driving beside, and it's all fresh and new, and probably isn't in the shop as often. And and uh, he even mentions how wrestling with that, oh, like if I had that, my life would be better. 
And uh, Rebecca could probably attest to my contentment. I think I'm a pretty content person. And I always, uh, yeah, but uh, I see too. It's always always the next thing, the next thing you need. And um, I'm challenged by that. Challenge, am I content with what I have? Or maybe it's not the next thing, but maybe it's the job. Am I content with my job? Where God has me right now, the toil that he's given me to do, am I content with it? And I think it's like, oh yeah, I could probably be more thankful. I should probably be more content. But Paul here says, flee these things. Flee it. This greed, this discontentment, this desire for more, it's not just like, oh yeah, that's right, I shouldn't, I should, I should be thankful. It's, it's no, like, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Its end is in death. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession. Um, here in Ecclesiastes, we see this contrast between not being content with what you have and striving for more and the vanity in that and when you die, you lose it all. But we also see then the flip side of enjoying what you have, enjoying the, the, the work that God has given you to do under the sun. And he doesn't say that that's not vanity. <laughs> A lot of the work we do in a sense, right? Like all these houses that I wire, they're probably not even going to last until the end. Like they, we have to go back and replace things, fix things. Um, but even if they did last, in the end, this world will pass away. It's it's a breath. Um, so it's not that that these things aren't vanity; they all they also are a breath. But it's God's gift to you that you can enjoy. You can take joy in them. And um, but I want us to turn our eyes to the work that does last. I think that's what Paul says to Timothy at the end here. We flee this love of money, flee from the love of money, but flee from it towards pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. The work, the labors of the Lord, the work that the Lord has given us to do in the lives of each other and the lives of the world around us, proclaiming his gospel. We've been talking about the idea of building a a community from all nations, right? That Ma- Matthew 28, go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in Revelation 7, when seated around the throne, we see members from every ethnic group, every tribe, every tongue, worshiping the Lord. That isn't going to pass away. That's eternal. And so we can look past just the vanity of our day-to-day work and we can, s- we can engage in the labors of God 
that are not in vain. And um, don't think that means, so we pay El Ray to give himself full time to uh, study the scriptures and preaching that with us and sharing and shepherding and pastoring. Don't think it's like, oh, well, okay, so Elroy's job is worthwhile, awesome, my job's useless, that's great. No, like, this work is work we're all to engage in, and it actually happens in the context of your workplace and your lives with one another. So when I'm working at the electrical company, it's the people I'm working with, the lives I'm working with. I can engage in the work of the kingdom there. And and then the worshiping of the Lord through just the day-to-day tasks, that's a testimony of our faith in Christ. And so don't think that the work, the work you do was in vain, but Christ has ransomed us from the futile ways which that we would have inherited from our forefathers. And we've now reconciled to him. And now, although we can still take the same application from Ecclesiastes of it's all going to just pass away, but the Lord's given me these things to enjoy, to get from him. Take that, but also recognize the work the Lord has given you that is eternal and that does last, that's not in vain. And give yourself to that um, in your studies and in your um, being retired and yet still doing so much stuff and in your dentistry, music studies. There's a lot we're involved in as a body. We we're a small group, and yet we spread over a lot in the, this city. <laughs> Flee these things and worship. In Romans 1, we see the idea that we did not honor God as God or give thanks, but we turned and we worshiped and served the creation rather than the creator. And in Ecclesiastes here, we see that, that there's no rest in that, and it's vanity and it's pointless. But when, when we orient, when we face God and we actually worship him, we recognize that he's the giver of these good gifts, that every good and perfect gift comes from God. And when we give thanks to that, to him for that, we actually can enjoy what he's given us. And if you're in Christ, you've been set free from your enslavement to this futile way of of going after that which does not satisfy. And you can actually be satisfied in Christ and, and enjoy these these things. And so in, in your work, in your studies, when you're working and studying alongside different people, when you're serving different clients, worship God. Because he's given you that work to do. And he set you free from the bondage of sin that caused you just to strive and not actually <laughs> get any satisfaction from it. So worship him and give thanks. Um, and I want to go back to the last part of Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Even Paul wasn't saying that, there sh- wasn't condemning the presence of wealth or possessions. But he says in verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves 
as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Many of us in Canada, in the West, we have less than a lot of people around us, but we have more than a lot of, a lot in our world. Even the poorest in our society have more than some in other societies. Charge them not to be haughty. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. He's the one who provided all this for you. And do good. Be rich in good works. Jesus tells the parable um, of the man who had uh, his lands produced plentifully and he outgrew his barns. He didn't have enough room for his stuff and so he tore down his barns and he made n- new barns. And then the Lord, he's like, oh, now I can relax and I can enjoy. I have food for many years. But then God says, no, tonight your soul will be required of you. And who and who will benefit from this? And um, and, and Jesus warns about storing up riches on earth and not being rich towards God. But Paul here tells those who are rich that know the Lord to be ready to share it and be rich in good works. And so, I guess that's what I want to leave us with too, is that see the vanity, see the vanity in this toil in the work around us, in the lives, in the pursuit of riches, especially in Calgary. That's a common theme in our city. Recognize the root of it. Recognize that the real problem is sin. Recognize um, that with the oppression you see around you and the system that milks, (laughs) that takes from those who are oppressed. Yeah, there's there's evil in the system, but that's because there's people in the system. And recognize that a new system isn't going to solve the problem. And um, as Christians, we can live in every system. We can live regardless of uh, whether we're in free market capitalists or whether we're under a monarchy like the preacher mentions here or even in a communist state because what's our lot? To toil and to enjoy it and to eat and drink. (coughs) But recognize the root of the meaningless. Recognize the root of this vain toil and flee from it. Be not lovers of money. But then flee these things and worship. Flee these things and worship the Lord. For it's in it's in our knowing him and worshiping him that we have true rest and satisfaction. And then um first Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray.
Lord, I thank you that you've given us your word and that you can that you teach us from it. And um, I thank you, Lord, that you use uh, broken vessels to to glorify your name and to um, Lord, I just ask that um, my brothers and sisters, Lord, from the text today, that they would hear your truth, that you would um, correct us, Lord, that we would bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Lord, if uh, there is the love of money in any of us, I ask that you help us to examine our hearts and that you grant it to us, that we would turn that we'd rest in you, that we'd worship you, not these created things around us. I ask by your grace that you would um, teach us from your word and shape us and correct us and that you would point us to your son and what he's done. Thank you for the labor that you've done us to do that's in you, that's not in vain. I ask that you would cause us to share the good news of that with those around us who are lost in the futility of toiling after the wind. I ask these in your name, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we turn to the table. And um, we remember the works of the Lord that he did.